Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now, here's Pastor Chris with today's message. Let me invite you, if you brought a copy of the scriptures, would you open with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're going to begin a study that's going to take us uh, several weeks to work through on the subject of the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? And uh, we're going to look at it through Jesus' self-identifying statements where he tells us, and in doing so, weaves a tapestry, a picture of exactly who he is as he works through seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. So we'll spend the next eight weeks looking at that, taking a week for uh, July 4th, uh, where we'll kind of step away from that for just a second. Let me introduce the message or the series of messages this way. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. They're outside the city and Jesus asked them a critical question. He said to them, he said, who do people say that I am? And then Peter, as Peter often does, speaks on behalf of the disciples. And he says, well, actually he probably said, well. Anyway, Peter said, some say, excuse the paraphrase, some say you're John the Baptist reincarnated. And some think you're Elijah. And some think you're maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And by the way, opinions vary on who Jesus is. But then Jesus turned the question to uh, an essential ask that you and I have to ask ourselves uh, in this matter of faith every time we come to the question. Not who others say I am, who, are, who do you say that I am? And when Peter heard that question, Peter responded, he says, you are the Christos, the Messiah, the expected one, the Christ, the, the Son of God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus blessed that affirmation and began a place of teaching there. But I want you to focus in on for just a second this key question of understanding who Jesus is. See, that question really defines for you and I, it defines our purpose, it helps us understand life, it helps us in defining our relationships, it is a defining question as it relates to the condition of the world. And it's also the question that we have to answer if we're ever to have hope. Jesus' identity, here's a statement, is in fact the hinge on which the door of faith swings. His identity is the hinge on which the door of faith swings. Who Jesus is, is that hinge point. It is the, uh, the pinnacle. It is the key factor in understanding what it is to have faith. I think it's why all of the world's major religions all came up with a story to try to identify who Jesus is. In Islam, Jesus is a prophet, a wise teacher, and recognized as such. In Judaism, he's the son of Mary, a respected teacher and a noted miracle worker among the people. In the Baha'i faith, Jesus is a manifestation of God, of uh, a result of prophecy, a prophet among the peoples alongside nine other prophets in their various world religions. 
In Buddhism, Jesus is a wise teacher and an example of how to live. In fact, in some of the most extreme iterations of Buddhism, Jesus is believed to have studied Buddhism himself and that he was actually a Buddhist monk. In Hinduism, most of the world would hold that Jesus was a holy man, a good teacher, and perhaps even a God himself. And in the New Age movement, Jesus is seen as a wise and moral teacher. Everyone has to answer the question, who is Jesus? In fact, it's an excursion, but catch this. I think that's why every one of the world's religions tried to give, tried to answer that in some way so that they could dispel it and move on with whatever false teachings they were going to propagate. Notice Islam has a word about Jesus, but Jesus doesn't have a word about Islam. He didn't have to explain away Islam. He just had to answer who he is. Jesus, if Jesus is a prophet or a teacher, we can learn from him. If Jesus is an example, we can observe him. If he's not God, then he must be a liar, or as one scholar said, a lunatic, or the product of a mere legend. But if he is God, then he must also be the creator and sustainer of life, and he's one worthy of all of our following. John said, and that was the purpose of his gospel, he said in chapter 20, verse 31, that he wrote all of the stories that he wrote, he put together the pieces that he put together out of the entire spectrum of all that Jesus did. He selected pieces so that, here's what he said in verse 31, so that you may believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you might have life in his name. You may know who he is, you may believe in him, and in so doing, you might experience life. John's gospel contains these seven self-identifying statements of the I am statements. And no one picture or statement is sufficient by itself, but when you take each statement and you layer them in with the other statements, it builds a tapestry and gives us a picture of how we are to understand just in fact who Jesus is. That's why we're going to take the time over the next two months and explore this together. Today, I want to begin by dealing with the statement of Jesus as the bread of life. We're in John 6. We're going to begin in verse 35. So if you found your way there, would you stand with me in honor of the Word of God? John 6, beginning in verse 35, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Would you pray with me? Father, even in these few moments that we spend together, would you so move and speak into our hearts in this place that we might really truly grasp the identity of Jesus? 
And that in doing so, we'd not relegate it to just Bible trivia, to facts that we would amass in our minds, but let it do its transforming work so that we would be molded and shaped to conform to the image of your son. Lord, would you have your will and way as you guide us now? We desire desperately for you to move and speak. And we ask you in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You be seated. And uh, hey, if you'd like to follow along on the outline, I want to show you three critical observations pertaining to the identity of Jesus in the message entitled, I am the bread of life. If you want to follow along on that outline, you can find that on the church app, the EBC Rocky Mount app, or you could, if you don't have the app and you'd like the outline, you could text the word notes to the number that you see on the screen and we'll send you a link and you can get that outline. Here's one of the benefits of having that outline. Sometimes, I know this about myself, sometimes I have more coffee than you can handle. So I'll talk fast and here's what happens. Somebody goes, I missed blank number three on page four. And I go, I, sorry, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm mean, right past that. And then, and then you can't sleep for an entire week. And I hate that when that happens. So the notes are set up interactively. So even if you miss it, you can click on it and it'll fill in the blanks for you. What kind of test comes with the answers already filled in? I'm just saying that's a phenomenal deal. So that's why we make that available to you the way that we do. Let me show you these three observations if I could. I want you to understand that when people come to Jesus, when they come after Jesus, when they pursue him, when they seek answers to the question of who Jesus is, there's a reason for that. So I want you to notice how Jesus speaks to the motivation to seek the Lord. In other words, these people that he's talking to in John chapter 6, which uh, consequently is the longest chapter in John's gospel, 71 verses. In this, in this chapter that, that Jesus is dealing with here, there's a lot of moving parts. And there are people who sought him out. In fact, they found him in Capernaum. And they had been with him the day before as he had ministered to them and in their midst. Then sometime during the night, he walked across the lake as he walked on water. And, and they realize that he's there. So they come around to Capernaum, around the lake. They come across to meet him there. And when they get there, they ask him crazy questions like, How, when did you get here? When, we didn't see you leave. We, did, we didn't know anything about that. And Jesus tells us why they sought him out in Capernaum. You'd find it in verse 26 if you're taking notes. He said, uh, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You ate the food I gave you and were filled. Now, over on the other side of the lake, here's what's going on. There were people who heard that an itinerant rabbi was in town who had done miracles and healed people. And they brought their sick. They brought their infirm. They brought all of these people to Jesus and he healed them. And then from that, use that as a point to begin teaching them and to explaining the things of God to them. And they go long into the night or into the afternoon. And then Jesus, you may recall this story, tells his disciples, hey, they're hungry. They're going to pass out on their way home. You give them some food to eat. And the disciples held a, held a, a, a conference meeting and they said, we can't find Sam's on our GPS. We have no idea where we are. There's not a store nearby. If we had a year's worth of money, we couldn't come up with enough money to buy just a little taste of bread for these people. And then Andy, uh, Andrew, shows up and Andrew's found a little boy with a sack lunch, five crackers, two sardines. And he says to him, Lord, this is all we've got. 
And he said, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was looking for. And he blessed it, broke it, fed 20,000 people, 5,000 men plus their families. Most scholars say probably around 20,000 people fed them until they were satisfied and then took up 12 baskets of leftovers because leftovers are from God. You thought that your wife or your husband just made too much to eat. No, it was God's provision for the next day. What a beautiful thing. So there's all these leftovers left over and they were stuffed. They were filled up. By the way, I think what's interesting about that, this is, this is free, no extra charge. It says all of them were satisfied. I don't know how many teenage boys were in that crowd, but I'm trying to figure out how much food's involved in satisfying a teenage boy. That's a lot of food. And yet they ate till they were satisfied with this lunch. And that blew the crowd away. The crowd then is so impressed that they made a declaration about Jesus's identity. John 6 verse 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, what are they talking about? Well, according to Jewish teaching, based on what Moses had said, a prophet would come along after him and prior to the end times. Moses told him that. If you're taking notes, jot down Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and following. The Lord your God, Moses is speaking to the people here in the second giving of the law, the Deuteronomy. The, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Oreb on the day of the assembly saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore or I will die. And the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Now, here's what Moses said. Moses said the people requested, oh, let's not hear from God directly. He scares us. Maybe God would only speak to us through his prophet. And God said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. There'll be another one that'll come in behind Moses, a second Moses, if you will, who will then speak on my behalf to the people. They thought after what Jesus did on the hillside, they thought, well, this must be the prophet that we're talking about. In fact, some Jewish rabbis even taught that as Moses called down manna from heaven, then this prophet would also feed them with manna from heaven. They thought that would be the sign. Moses gave us manna, the next prophet, he'll give bread from heaven as well. John 6, verse 26, and Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You sought me because of what I could do for you, not because you wanted to hear from God. You sought me because of what I could do for you, not because you wanted to hear from God. Ouch. Now you may say, man, those goofy people, how dare them only seek the benefit rather than the benefactor? How dare they only look for the gift rather than the giver, the provision rather than the provider? And I say, yeah, how dare we? Because all of us have been like that now and again. Got a bill you can't pay, an illness you can't deal with, a death that grieves your heart, a struggle, a broken relationship, something 
You cry out to Jesus, Jesus, fix it, make it go away. It's not Jesus you want, it's what Jesus does that you want. You're not, it's not Jesus you're pursuing in that instant. It's the things that Jesus does for you. It's the benefit, not the benefactor. And Jesus said of the crowds that came to him at Capernaum, that's what's going on in your life. In other words, Jesus focuses in on their motivation. Now listen, however you look at this passage, you have to admit that people pursue Jesus either with right or wrong motives. And based on our motive, which Jesus understands very clearly, by the way, he makes a strong declaration. So notice with me, secondly, the declaration to seekers from the Lord. Now, they've got a motivation for seeking him. Now, he declares something to them. From the Lord, he declares to those who are seeking after him, here's truth you need to know. John 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. There's three declared statements in there for you and I to grab. First of all, he declares to them, I am the bread of life. Now, in the minds of the hearers, they went immediately back to the Exodus and the manna that God provided through Moses' hand directly to the people to meet their needs as they were hungry. Jesus told us that, verse uh, John 6, 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus connected the dots, said out loud what they were thinking in their hearts, and draws attention to this gift from God, this manna, this bread. That's what manna, manna means what is it? Uh, and, uh, and this bread that God provided for them, this day's worth of bread that God gave to them, their minds went immediately back there. If you want to see the story, you could jot down Exodus 16 verses 1 to 4. Here's what it says. Then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, that's a lot of detail for a story. What's up with all that detail? Moses said, he's not glossing over this deal right here. He's saying, this is verifiable facts. Here's what went on on that day. Verse 2. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, catch us now, that I may test them whether or not they'll walk in my instructions. Now, don't miss what's going on here. They're grumbling, they're ill. They said, we had hamburger joints on every corner in Egypt. And you brought us out here, there's not a McDonald's anywhere in sight. This is terrible. What are we to do? You're trying to kill us of hunger. And Moses prayed and God says, I'll feed them. 
But now I'm going to rain bread from heaven and I'm going to, I'm going to cover the ground with it. But they're to go out and seek one day's provision. And here's what I want to see. Will they pursue after what I provide or will they sue after me, the provider? Will they pursue my provision or will they pursue me? Will they go after the gift or will they go after the giver? Will they look for the benefit or will they look for the benefactor? I'll test them in this. It's why the writer of Proverbs, this is a key deal. Will we pursue Jesus or will we only be interested in what Jesus can do for us? The writer of Proverbs says, Lord, arrange my days in such a way, paraphrase, arrange my days in such a way that I would not have more than I need and somehow become self-sufficient or less than what I need and become a thief and go and take from someone else to provide, but give me what I need for this day so that I'll not dishonor you in either of those other ways. By the way, it's what Jesus told us in the model prayer, we're to pray for, Lord, give us this day our daily bread so that we'll look after you to get it again tomorrow. And, and frankly, that's how the Christian life is always designed to be. That we would pursue him daily for his provision. We would seek him daily for what he would give for. We would look to him to meet our needs every day. Not years and, and, and decades in advance. Because if we got to doing that, we'd start thinking, man, we're really awesome. Look at all we've saved up. That's where he's going. So that's what's taking place there. Jesus says to them then, you're seeking bread and you're trusting in the bread. But the bread's merely evidence that God is a God who provides, which is but one aspect of his care for you. Look at verse 35 again. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Why did he say that? Because in verse 34, they said, Lord, we always want this bread. We always want the bread. Go back, look at it. John 6, verse 31 and following. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it's written and he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of heaven is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread. And he who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. That's the second declaration. He said, if you quit looking for what I can do for you and you look to me personally, you'll be so satisfied you'll never go hungry again. They said, man, we want to do that. But can you tell they're on two different wavelengths? See, when they heard him say bread, they thought it's a sandwich. But Jesus said, I'm your provision. You've got to get to me. If you get to me, then the rest of this falls into place. We know that just earthly bread, we know that just physical bread is not going to satisfy. Why? Because yesterday he fed them to the full and today they're hungry again. See, sometimes that's the problem with folks in their pursuit of Christianity. What can God do for me today? God, would you do this for me? And he graciously does it. And the next day we're hungry again. And we go, see, God's not there. God's there. God's not there. God's there. God's not there. God's good. God's not good. And yet he said, turn your eyes to me. If you turn your eyes to me, I'll provide for you in ways you don't even fully understand. And you'll never hunger again. 
You'll never hunger. By the way, similar language that you find here to what we saw in John 4 when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well in Samaria. And, uh, and he's asking her for a drink. And she's like, you don't even have a bucket. You didn't even bring a cup with you. Where's your turvis? And, uh, and Jesus said, if you knew who was asking you for this, you'd ask him for a drink and he'd give you living water. And, and you'd never go thirsty again. And she said, well, give me some of that. I hate coming to the well. And he's like, you don't get it either. See, he's talking on one level and they're talking and thinking on another level. Well, now here's what the people want to know. They want to know, how do I get this bread of life, this bread that will completely say, how do I get to that? Jesus tells them, look at John 6, verse 27 to 29. He says, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore, they said to him, what shall we do? That's a question we're comfortable with. What do I have to do to get Jesus to take care of me? What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That you believe, that you believe. That's the third part of the declaration, by the way. I am the bread of life. He who has the bread will never hunger again. He who believes in me will never thirst again. He tells us you must believe in him. That word believe, uh, I think you remember this. It's, it's the Greek word pistuo. And uh, it, it exceeds just knowing something. He's not saying, oh, I need you to know something's true. That's the, we know stuff's true all the time. But to believe means to know something that's true and to act consistent with that knowledge. So I could say to you, man, I believe this step is strong and it'll hold up a preacher if he steps on it. Now, if I don't ever step on it, you don't know if I really believe that or not. I might just be preaching. But the moment I step down on there, you know I believe the step will hold me up. Because, not because it held me up. You'll know, man, if he stepped on something and he didn't know if it'd hold him up, he either believes it would or he's trying to hurt himself and fall straight through and become a buffoon. No, I believe the step will hold me. And you can tell I believe by what I do with it. I acted consistent with what I said I knew to be true. That's what Jesus tells them here. He says, and if you believe in me, you'll never thirst again. You'll be completely satisfied. The writer of Hebrews says that that's a prerequisite to our relationship with God. In other words, you can't get to God any other way. Hebrews 11 in verse 6, and without faith, that's by the way, another word translated for belief. And without believing, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. In other words, in order for us to be in right relationship with God, in order for us to experience God's care in his provision, in order for us to know the love of God, in order for us to be known by God, We've got to be willing to take God at his word and act consistent with his word, trusting that he is a God of his word. Now, it's clear that Jesus knows our motivations perfectly. And it's also clear that he declares unequivocally that he is the bread of life. And whoever comes to him and believes in him, not believed, uh, believes, uh, believes in him will have life. So how did the people respond to that? Because see, I think oftentimes we'll hear 
these declarations about God, but then there's a disconnect because we don't act consistent with them. So how did the people react? How did they respond? How was their action uh, in relation to what Jesus has promised? Notice with me number three, the response of the hearers to the Lord. Those hearing have to respond to the claims of Christ. How did they respond to him? Jesus gave us some insight. Verse 36 of our text, Jesus said, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. So in other words, there's something that disconnects between, hey, I've heard about you, I see you, I recognize you, I know what you've done and believing in him that he will do it for us ongoing again in relationship with us. Jesus said, you've seen me, but you don't believe in me. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father that everyone who beholds sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Wait a minute, we're back to the who beholds the son, the hinge of faith, the hinge that the door of faith swings on, that beholds the Son and believes that He is who He says He is, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Who is Jesus, and what will I do with that information? How will I order the steps of my life around that? Can I say to you, as Jesus is talking to them about this, it was a pretty hard pill to swallow. He goes from this point to getting into something that said that they thought was just gross. He goes on and tells them, he said, uh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And everybody said, that's disgusting. And then they, it says the majority of the disciples, the, those who had followed him over to Capernaum, the majority of them turned around and left and didn't follow him anymore. In fact, if they had had Twitter back then, they would have hashtagged him, Jesus is a weirdo. And they would have just moved on. They would have said, I, I can't have anything to do with it. He's strange. He's, I don't want, I'm looking for a Jesus who makes sense to me. Hey, there's a lot of people looking for a Jesus that makes sense to them. But now it's not really about what makes sense to us as much as what Jesus has declared about himself that matters for eternity. See, we've got a, such an idea that we can remake Jesus and take the pieces of Jesus we like and ignore the pieces we don't like, that, that we've kind of customized a Jesus into a model that suits us versus taking him at his word as a, as a God who suits himself and has invited us to know him. We, if we take our beliefs and we say, oh, Jesus said, listen, I believe you're a God who saves. I believe you're a God who loves. I believe you're a God who wants us to have fellowship with him. I don't believe you're a God that's got my best interest at heart. Well, that's why I rebel. That's why when you tell me to do this, I go and do this other thing. Because I don't believe what you're telling me really is best for me. I believe my plan's better. I believe I've got a better fix on what's good for me than what you've got for me. So that's what sin is. That's rebellion. That's exactly what Jesus is dealing with with them. They said, oh, give us a customized Jesus that, 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 that gives us all the touchy-feely stuff, but lets us be in charge of what else we want to do. By the way, that Jesus is pursued all over the world today. Hey, he's pursued all over, he's pursued all over North Carolina today. 
He's pursued all over Rocky Mount today. How do you know that, Chris? Because there are people that'll walk around. In fact, let me just say to you, I, I find myself embarrassed now and again when I listen to how some people preach about Jesus. They'll say things like, God loves you. God wants you to have stuff, lots of stuff, and to be healthy with your stuff and to enjoy your stuff and to Instagram all your stuff and give a good piece of that stuff back to us so we can have stuff too. God just wants you to be happy. God wants you to have your best life now. God wants you to have your best life by Friday. It doesn't matter how big you smile, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible said, I want you, and I want you to trust me, and I want you to pursue me, and I want to use you in a way that brings glory to my name, and I want to raise you up in the last days. That's the God of the Bible. The God that says, uh, or, or the person that's looking for that God is willing to reorder the steps of their own lives in such a way that they think, well, God will just be whatever I want him to be. They could even go with this... They could even go this far and say, I know, I know, I know, I know. The Bible says some stuff, but that's really an archaic idea. I know God's got a plan for marriage and relationships and sexuality and all of that other stuff. But, you know, I'm just different. I'm different than the other 8 billion people on the planet. God's wired me different. And, uh, and I know better how to have relationships and satisfaction and all of these things. And therefore, I want a God who's going to bless that. He doesn't exist. He's a lie. And the fact that you won't pursue the God of truth and you pursue that means that you, hey, listen, you're rejecting the God of truth in pursuing this God that is a fictional character created from the father of lies in hell to draw you away into some fake, go nowhere but destruction eternity. Well, I just, I, I just, I agree with God on 99%, but this I don't agree on. You know that's not an option, right? It's either all in or not in at all. He's either God or he's a liar. He's either in charge and worthy of us to follow 100% or he's not worth following at all. They listened to what Jesus said, but it cut across them. It was against them. It made them uncomfortable. Jesus said this way, verses 41 and 42, they grumbled at his teaching and they argued against it. They said, well, who is he to tell me these things? I mean, he's, he's not from heaven. He's Joseph's son. We, we've known him since he played rec league ball. I mean, he's just a, look at that little fella. And, and how can he tell us it's wrong to, for, to care about physical provisions? Everybody needs food. Yeah, that's true. But he said, I want you to care more about the one who provides it than about what he provides. Because if you get the provider right, the provision always follows in line. But if you focus on the provision, you're going to get up hungry again the next day and the next day and the next day, and the next day. And he only, he only satisfies those who are willing to go all in with him. Now, 
Some wanted Jesus on their terms. If he'll just give me this. But Jesus says, if you're going to come to me, you have to come to me on my terms. Here's the point. To behold him as he reveals himself and to refuse to trust him by faith is to reject the bread of life. It's not a neutral proposition. It's a full rejection of the faith. Let me say that again for you because somebody wants to hear that right now. Somebody needs to hear that right now. To reject part of who Jesus says he is, is to wholesale reject the faith. It's not a neutral position. You can't coast in at 98% and go neutral on the other. To miss him, to reject him in 1% is to reject all of who he is. But not all people rejected Jesus. Many of them left him and followed him no more, John recorded, but not all did. The curious did, but those seeking the benefit from Jesus did, but those who caught who he is didn't. In fact, Jesus, after the crowds left, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, will you go away too? They've left, will you follow the crowd? They've left, will you go after the latest trend on Instagram? Will you go after what your friend said? Will you go after that new book that you read? Will you go after what somebody recorded on the internet and said they were a pastor and said they had degrees and said they had a divinity, whatever? Or will you stick with the word? And here's what Peter said, John 6, verse 67 and following. Jesus said, you don't want to go away also, do you? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. You, hey, you could insert alone there. You alone have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are. You are the Holy One of God. 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 You and you alone. See, that's the question you have to answer this morning because it's really the same question that he asked the disciples at Capernaum. It's not who others say that I am that matters. It's who do you say that I am? Jesus is the one who bailed me out of a lot of scrapes, Chris. Jesus is the one I look to to pay my power bill. Jesus is the one I look to to uh, get my, to, to, to fix my marriage. Jesus is the one I look to. Yeah, he does all of those things. But that's not why you pursue him. You pursue him because God said you have a desperate need. And I'll rain down from heaven exactly what you need and see if you really trust me. Hey, how do you know if you trust him? Lord, I believe. And I take the step of belief. The step of belief. I believe. And I take the step of belief. What does that look like? It's often more than some religious action or prayer. I mean, honestly, lots of people go to churches and that doesn't make them a Christian. Lots of people stand in their garage and not one of them's become a vehicle. The fact of the matter is being a church witness, that can't be it. It can't even be some prayer that was prayed years ago. It's got to be an ongoing lifestyle of, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Lord, I, Lord, that really cuts against the grain. And 
And I can't change you, so God change me. Lord, I believe. 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 God, that's hard. And I still believe. God, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I still believe. God, that's going to, that grieves my soul, but I still believe. God, that's going to be so difficult for them to accept, but I still believe it. Jesus said, if you'll do that, you'll find rest for your soul. That's why, that's why he said in the gospel, you can come to me if you're weary and burdened. And I'll give you rest. There's the promise. But then he, he strikes it different. He says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke? Hey, that's not, a, that's not something you put on to take a trip around the beach. That's a working instrument. It's for plowing, not for parading. And here's what he said. Put the, put the yoke on and learn from me. I'll teach you how to plow. I'll teach you how to work through the stuff of this life. And I'll raise you up on the last day. I'll give you something greater in the end than you could ever manufacture for yourself in the middle. Will you trust me? You may be here and said, I... Chris, I've been a Christ follower for years. But honestly, I've kind of reshaped Jesus around my ideas as opposed to realigning my life around his. What do I do about that? You do the same thing that you did when you first gave your life to Christ. You run back to him and you say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And I believe. And if you're on the outside looking in... This is what you've been looking for. This is why your heart is longed. Not to find a God that, that, that scratches every itch that you can think of. But a God who said, I will, I will hold on to you if you'll believe. And I'll raise you up in the last days. Who do you say that Jesus is? Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us today. This is Pastor Chris, and I pray that the message you've just heard has been a blessing to you directly from the heart of God. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at inglewoodbaptist.com next, or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. Today's message was an encouragement to you. Let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us to reach a wider audience with the life-changing message of hope in Jesus Christ. We hope you'll join us again next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.